Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Nakubo in Brief. I'm Lindsay Waite, Nakubo's Director of Analytics, and today I'm joined by Dr. Laurel Espinosa, the Vice President for Research at the American Council on Education. Laurel is responsible for developing ACE's thought leadership and research agenda, and she is well known for her scholarship on equity in higher education, including projects that both examine race and ethnicity in higher education and also translate this research for practitioner audiences. Thank you for joining us today, Laurel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I want to jump right in and start talking about a recent report that ACE released, the Race and Ethnicity in Higher Education Report. Could you talk a little bit about the history of this project and why does the American Council on Education conduct this study? Yeah, that's a great question. So at ACE, we've been around for a number of years, 101 uh, to be exact, and we've uh, focused on equity as an issue for uh, a great number of those years. Race and ethnicity is one of those issues. Um, Other work we do, for example, is on women's leadership, on post-traditional students. So we really cover the ground in terms of equity. And we have an exciting new direction as well, which is a focus on equity-minded leadership and doing work on race and ethnicity and really providing leaders with data that they can use uh, as a tool, um, we think is really important for that direction. We have some exciting new ways to deliver professional learning that will be released in the fall. So look out for that. Um, And this is all part of that effort. But what we really want to do with these data is provide really a a timely uh, resource for not just leaders, but also members of the media, for researchers, for other types of practitioners. There still is not a place to go until now that, you know, really provides a snapshot of higher education and uh, the consideration of race and ethnicity within. These data are meant to be accessible and user-friendly, you know, easy to to take up and use in presentations and talking points. And that's a, a, a gap that we're really seeking to fill, and we're grateful to the Mellon Foundation for funding funding this work. Great. Yeah, it really sounds like uh, ACE uh, and the researchers there have focused on a, a tool um, and a resource that is open for all leaders on college and university campuses. Uh, so with that said, um, and I'm honestly really interested in some of the data that you've collected, um, uh, and I think our members would be as well, I'm wondering if we could go ahead and jump right in. Uh, I know one of the, the topics that you cover in the report is looking at grant aid um, and how uh, student demographics differ and who receives grant aid. And I know that's also something of interest to Nakubo members. Here at Nakubo, we conduct the tuition discounting study looking specifically at institutional aid. But I also know in your report, you look at all kinds of grant aid. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how student demographics vary uh, for undergraduates who receive grant aid. 
I, I don't think it would surprise any of your listeners to know that there are differences by race and ethnicity across a host of the things that we look at. So I'll just say for, for those who are interested in grant aid, loan uh, uh, behavior, which we're going to talk about, I know, but also where students go, what they study, you know, who graduates, who leaves, that's all available. And I'll need to mention the website so I can plug it and, and encourage people to go. It's equityandhighered.org. But certainly when it comes to how students finance their education, there are definitely differences. And maybe I'll just start out by saying some averages across. I mean, for example, in 2015-16, about 77% of all full-time undergraduates received some amount of grant aid. And this would be from federal, state, institutional, and private sources. And they they usually receive somewhere in the neighborhood of, of $8,800. Something that we see for Black students in particular, and also for American Indian or Alaska Native students, is that 90% of the population are receiving grant aid. And this is in uh, comparison with about three quarters of white and Asian students. So off the bat, you see more students receiving grant aid. In terms of amount, it's a little bit interesting that that one varies in in some unexpected ways, or maybe maybe they're not always unexpected. But for example, Asian students received the most grant aid on average in terms of dollars at about 11000 per year. So of course, this all depends on how an institution is delivering this aid. I and mean, we know how the federal government delivers it, but this would be an aggregate. So this would include other forms that could be delivered by the institution. It could have a merit component. It could not always have a need component. Um, so yeah, it's, we do have some of the breakdown so in the report to check it out. That's really helpful to know, and I find that really interesting to understand some of the differences in underrepresented minority students and the rates at which they're receiving grant aid, mm-hmm. uh, which I know our listeners know is the, the aid that students don't have to pay back after they graduate, which exactly. makes it really key for providing college access to these students. Right. Um, I'm wondering, though, and you had already hinted at this earlier, how this all relates to another big topic that we have in higher education, and that's borrowing to pay um, for undergraduate education. I'm wondering then if we could go a little bit into some of the numbers and some of the data behind the average debt for graduates, uh, both associates and bachelor's degree, Mm -hmm. um, who come from different uh, demographic backgrounds. Yeah. And I'll just say that this is where we see some of the starkest differences when it comes to borrowing. And both who borrows, you know, at what rate is a group borrowing in terms of how how many of the students in that group are borrowing, and then also how much they borrow and what they leave with. And so, you know, like you said, this is money that students um, can't just uh, take without consequence. This is money that they have to pay back. And, you know, we could have a whole separate podcast on the ramifications of leaving school with a large debt load. Um, But we do see differences here. And I'll just flag for everyone that the greatest um, concern that I have and the most urgent need, in in my opinion, in terms of where we need to focus policy and practices on uh, the African-American student population. This is a group that borrows at the highest rates and also leaves with the largest debt burden than any other group. So this is one that we have a lot of data on in the report in terms of this population. And I'll just give a a statistic and we could talk about some of the other averages, but I'll just say about a third of Black students have 40,000 or more in debt when they leave their bachelor's degree. And this is compared to roughly 18% of students overall. So right away, you see a big difference in sort of where these lines are drawn and sort of 
interestingly, and I think this is where you could have a discussion about borrowing behavior, and and um, certainly you can have a lot of discussion here around financial literacy and the way that different groups of of students and families approach this. But Hispanic students tend to borrow the least and also leave with uh, lower um, amounts of of debt. So they're at about thirteen percent have that forty thousand or more. Again, compared to eighteen percent overall, and about a third of Black students. Yeah, that's that really, I think, helps paint a picture for a lot of our members when they're thinking about their students and the investment that institutions and the federal government and the state governments are making in terms of grant aid, but then also that individual investment that students are making, whether it's out of their own pocket or by taking on debt. Um, I do think this kind of leads me to a question that I know a lot of our members are really thinking about, and that's this idea that higher education can be viewed as an investment. And so we're really interested in what is the value of having um, credentials uh, from a post-secondary institution. Um, and I know that your report also looks at some of these these outcomes or this value of higher ed or this idea that higher ed is an investment for all of these students. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there are differences based, again, on students' race and, race and ethnicity um, in terms of what they're getting um, after they've received their degree, so in employment or earnings. Yeah. So, I mean, it's important, of course, to always recognize that um, individuals earn much more over their lifetimes, the more education that they have typically. Of course, this also depends on what you study. It also depends on where you go. So there's other research that looks at that. But so so that's something to just put on the table right away. And we see that in the data in terms of uh, you know, sort of at each degree level from associate to bachelor to graduate and professional education, people are earning more. And that's not surprising. Um, but what is concerning is that once again, you see differences even at the same education level. So even for those with a master's degree, you'll see differences in earnings when it comes to different racial and ethnic groups. And some of the um, groups that stand out, again, are African Americans, but also American Indians. And their earnings gap can range from 5,000 to tens of thousands once you go up this education level trend. And, you know, just going back to um, the loan question, and I had sort of said something a moment ago about it depends on where students go. It's also worth understanding that students of color are more likely to go to for-profit institutions. And these are some institutions that, um, you know, uh, in terms of student loan debt, often send students away with some of the highest debt levels. We absolutely see that in our data. And uh, just to put a statistic to it, roughly one in five um, uh, Black associate and bachelor's degree recipients completed their degrees at for-profit institutions. So that that sector is actually driving up the average for Black students in particular. They're, they are twice as likely to go to a for-profit than, than the general student or the, the typical student. I think a lot of the data that you're pointing out are definitely highlighting uh, some areas for concern that we do still see in the United States, um, some some gaps between um, outcomes um, in terms of like debt that students are experiencing, as well as uh, the benefits that students might experience um, when they've received their post-secondary degrees. Um, And some of the groups that I know you've highlighted, um, and for our listeners who will also go on to read some of the report, you know, we 
it, the message doesn't always seem quite so hopeful, especially for students from underrepresented minority backgrounds. I know you highlighted uh, African-Americans and also American Indians when we think about the return on investment in higher ed for these groups um, of students. Um, I'm wondering if in all of that work and all of the data that you and your colleagues uh, went through, which there was a, a massive amount for this particular project, did you and your colleagues find any hopeful messages in the data? Yeah, that's a, a good question. We and good good to end on too, Lindsay. Good to end on hope. Um, because we are seeing promising trends. I mean, if you go back to uh the beginning of our report, if you happen to pick that up, you'll see that we first talk about uh the dem the demographics in higher education and how that has changed. We talk about um how the United States population has changed. It has become more diverse. A lot of that diversity is driven by uh the Hispanic population, which has grown very quickly over the last um, couple of decades, and you see that reflected in higher education, right? So so we can be hopeful in the fact that there, there has indeed been greater access and there is greater completion and, again, upward mobility for these groups. Uh, I don't know if, if if this would surprise you, but but about 45% of undergraduate students are students of color, are non-white students. And that's incredible. And a little over 30% of graduate students are, are students of color. And one other statistic that I love to talk about is the rate at which students go to graduate school after they finish their undergraduate degree. And, you know, in the literature and, and previous work, we'd often um, see a real fall off for students of color. But this last time when we looked at the most recent data, we actually see that students of color, um, not every group, but many of the groups are going on to graduate education, even at higher rates than white students. So, you know, there's promise in this trajectory. And, you know, of course, that goes back to asking the deeper questions, though, about where they're going, what they're paying, how much uh, loan debt they're leaving with. So it it always opens the door for more questions. But we are seeing, seeing some hope, and we hope that you know, that these trends continue to move upward um, because it's very important that they do for our country. Great. And, and I really do appreciate uh, for our listeners that you highlight the power of data in all of this, that the data really can um, highlight issues and um, help institutions to uh, uncover insights and think about best practices to serve the students that we have and really make a difference um, for all of our students and hoping that all of them uh, work to have more equitable outcomes um, when we think about the importance of higher education. Uh, so I am really happy that, you know, we, we ended on yeah. talking about the report um, and some of the positive notes that we see in there. Uh, I do I do have one more question, and maybe this is kind of just a little bit more broad question about the research generally. Um, when we think about all of this data, how it uncovers um, or shows some inequities that we still have on a lot of our campuses today, uh, but also gives us some hopeful um, information in terms of the shifts that we see and promising practices that we see on some of our campuses. When we think about institutional leaders, so presidents of college campuses and also business officers, how should they be using this data um, or this resource that you guys have at ACE um, to inform some of their goals or their practices or their policies? How can this data be a tool for them? Yeah, so that's a great question. And of course, we do all of this because we want it to be used by a number of different uh, entities, uh, like I said earlier. But something that I've seen uh, happen with this data, which is really exciting, is that it's an opportunity for institutions to look at these national data and then benchmark themselves against it. And in addition to doing that, which can be quite illuminating, it's also providing an opportunity to use the data as uh, really a boost to a conversation 
conversation about race on on campus, you know, bringing um, us from ACE to talk about it or just using it as a jumping off point for other speakers that you might bring or projects you might undertake or, you know, really um, pointing to the urgency of including the consideration of race in your strategic planning and in the way that you, like you said, uh, aggregate, disaggregate data, um, how you use that data for decision making, just having a national view of the data, I think really can help boost efforts. And I've seen administrators using it in that way, you know, really using it as a catalyst. Great. Thank you. Uh, And thank you, Laurel, for joining us. And I do encourage all of our listeners to read the Race and Ethnicity in Higher Education Report. It's available on ACE's website. um, And also the report and other resources are available on the microsite, equityinhighered.org. I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us today. I'd encourage you to check out other podcasts in our Nakubo in Brief series, as well as Nakubo's other podcast series, CBO Speaks. Uh, Both are available on the Nakubo website. So thank you. Thank you so much, Laurel, for joining us, and thanks again to our listeners.